I went in a place and it was supposed to be empty and I go and I see this guy and he's like laying in the bed and it's supposed to be empty and I'm like just taping him and talking like, you know, the crocodile hunter. I'm like, look at the crackhead in his natural habitat. Me being Puerto Rican myself, I know that typical minorities always have about 20 grand stashed somewhere in a mattress, right? So if you start picking up houses in the hood for five to 10 grand, you can wholesale them for like you know, 15 to 20. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, here we are with Jason Centeno. He is the founder of Trashmitter. He's also got a lot of experience managing Airbnbs, and he's owned a lot of units. Um, Jason, we are super pumped to have you on the show. I know you're in Philly. I know you've been dealing with a lot of Airbnb tenancy. Um, could you kick us off with a crazy story, man? What's, what's been your craziest experience in real estate thus far? So before there was Airbnbs or people even knew about them, there was this thing called wholesaling, which, you know, everybody knows about now because, you know, even your grandma's probably doing it at this point. But, um, I was prop. So one of the things I was known for, uh, um, let me, let me take it back a little bit. Like I, when I got into real estate, I didn't necessarily want to be an agent or anything like that. So obviously the investor route is, which is the way you go because you kind of, you might not want to be on someone's team, like, you know, or, or wear a suit and tie, You can't, but you still want to make money. So um, I chose, you know, obviously the, the route most people choose in the beginning is I want to flip a house. So I did that. It was really slow. And after, I don't know, three years of that, I was like, you know, there's got to be a faster way. So I discovered wholesaling. So my best stories usually come from wholesaling kind of stuff because what I wholesaled was typically, you know, they would call them war zone, you know, the hood. Um, and, you know, I, I like the hood. I grew up in the hood, you know, I'm from North Philadelphia, North. If you're from Philadelphia, if I, if you hear somebody say North, you know, that's where they're from. Um, and the, the, you know, I got, got along with the people there. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, back when I started was, you know, I knew that in neighborhoods where, you know, it was predominantly um, minorities, okay, um, be, I, me being Puerto Rican myself, I know that typical minorities always have about 20 grand stashed somewhere in a mattress, right? So if you start picking up houses in the hood for five to 10 grand, you can wholesale them for like, you know, 15 to 20. So I kind of, kind of played in that area. And when I kind of, when I first started, it was kind of like, um, before we had really good phone cameras, they had like the little Kodak ZI eights or something where you could just video stuff. Well, my thing was like, everybody's like, oh, when you take video, you got to take pictures with lights and do it all pretty. And I was just like, screw that. So I wanted to have fun and I wanted to do something, you know, kind of family oriented. So I created this character called daddy's fast cash. And he was like a superhero and he would go out there and be in these, you know, these houses and, and, and kind of just like, you know, be the explorer kind of like the i guess the story that russell brunson's story he talks about the guide so i wasn't really trying to advise people on how to vest i was kind of like showing them what was out there and it was real cheap so i'd go out there with this camera and i just have fun and i you know i can remember um let me see i, I get the one story um <laughs> i took my son one time and this video is probably still somewhere on the internet um i, I actually wholesaled this house three times believe it or not but the first time we went, I took my son and we're walking through the house and I'm like, don't touch anything. And like half the front of the house was okay. And the back was kind of beat up. And I think there was chickens in a yard and a pit bull. But as we're walking through the house, it was like, you know, it was, it was a beater house. So by the time we come outside, my son starts screaming. He's about 
six years old, five years old right now. And we're covered with fleas. And he's like, ah, but he's like trying to get them off. So that day was the day I discovered that when you go in your car, you turn your car on. And if you take a bath in the exhaust, you like, you know, hit the gas real hard and let, let that shower over your body. It makes the fleas get off you. So, and it was like something I learned from the gas company guy. I forgot who told me that, but we did that. I got, I got him kind of flea, you know, it's got all the fleas off of him because he was screaming. Then I did it to myself. So that was kind of like a, a war story of going through these houses. And from that point, I learned that hot houses in the summer, and if you can smell a dead animal, it's probably a f million fleas in there. So be ready, right? Wear long pants because in the summer you wear shorts um, and some other things. And then, you know, white socks even just because you can see them easier. And then when you know you're in one of them environments, you kind of like come when you come out, always check your pants for fleas and take a, you know, take a, a bath in the exhaust of your um, the exhaust of your car for a little bit just to be sure. So that's kind of like one of the you know, sage wisdoms of wholesaling that I discovered. Uh, I used to go in there and make a lot of jokes and play with like um, I, would, I would take pictures with like stuffed animals and just do stuff. I remember one time I went in a place and it was supposed to be empty and I go and I see this uh, this guy like it was a squatter and he's like laying in the bed and it's supposed to be empty and I'm like just taping him and talking like you know the crocodile hunter. I'm like look at the crackhead in his natural habitat and he's just kind of like looking like this and I just got like a lot of I kind of like not a lot of hate but a lot of you're crazy you should have never did that he could have killed you and I'm just like whatever dude um that was a nice one um one time <laughs> we were checking out this house and it was raining raining real bad and you know how they say um China turd you know and they like they'll slap something like they'll try to make something look nice but it's a really messy house. polish a turd there you go that's why that's why polish you, get paid books. you come up with the words yeah. Um, so we go in this house and it's like, <laughs> this guy's got like, you know, laminate floor and everything's painted nice, but everything's crooked. Like if you try to play pool here, your, you know, your ball would like shoot down into the corner of the house. Everything's crooked and it's raining. So I'm looking in the window and there's like water pouring in through the cracks. And I'm like, who the hell does all this work to a house? And then like, it's this bad. So, you know, he was obviously trying to you know, sell it like for a lot of money. I look in the basement and there's about three foot of water and no steps. And I'm like, mm, not going to do this. Turns out that every, the very next day that house collapsed. So 24 hours later, if I would have been in the house 24 hours later, we would have, would have fell down on us. So that's another fun story about wholesaling, but all in all, it was a great experience. Um, I learned how to market and I kind of fell more in love with that process than the actual, you know, the money was good. Um, oh, well, last story. Um, <laughs> I wholesaled a house dressed as a Mexican wrestler once and made six grand. I was friends with this guy. He was doing an event in Florida and he was trying to find like promotional videos. And again, back to the little Kodak ZI8. I was like, dude, I'm just going to do this video for you and put like your, 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 your logo on it and it's just going to be the the adventures of this guy trying to learn how to wholesale so the first video was like this really grimy video of this um luchador and he's talking about how wrestling is like not not paying the bills anymore and then he sees he goes online and he sees this guy talking about this real estate event and he's going to go learn wholesaling and his son's dressed like a luchador there and he's like oh yeah um can we go wrestle now and then the, then the next part is like you know mexican music and they're like fighting it on the trampoline and beating each other up it was like REI Connect. That was the name of the group, right? The, the thing. So then part two was I go to the event 
and I put the mask on and through the whole event, people are learning and they're like listening to the speakers. And there's this guy in a crowd. I had my friend come with me. He was just shooting it and he's just like learning everything too. So he's picking up, you know, picking up, uh, you know, the tips and tricks. He's talking to like some of the gurus from back in the day. They're like um, Preston Ely and, and um, the guy who runs Freedom Soft now, um, Rob Swanson was in it. You know, he slaps me with money and they're like trying to teach me how to like be, you know, do do wholesaling and so i'm like interacting with all these like gurus and random people and then afterwards after i get the training i go back to philadelphia and it's like i'm putting out bandit size dress as a wrestler and my son's with me and he's boom we're hitting you know putting bandit signs yada yada and then so i start doing this like i put the bandit signs out for this house and we're just out there filming and i'm over there dancing on the porch and this guy you know it was big like like i you know i put up some advertising the signs were to direct people to the house and in the video, you see the guy come up the steps and he ended up buying this house for his daughter. So messing around. And I made this video, I put it together and I gave it to Colin and, and, and like every once in a while, we, this thing pops back up on the internet and we, we show it for laughs. But, um, you know, when I wholesale that house, you know, the guy I paid, got paid like six, six grand on a wholesale deal from just doing that goofy video for my friend. And to me, that was probably one of the most epic uses of like like exactly that encapsulates how i like to sell real estate figure out some retarded way to do something and do it and then just whatever happens happens but money comes just because you just have fun with it right so that was probably that was probably one of my favorite events because i had the videos and then i have the guy at the closing table with his daughter talking about the deal like in another video but like you can put the if you could put the story together you're like oh snap that's that really happened i was like yeah so <laughs> that was probably one of my favorites so there's such a good lesson in the beginning of what you said. And I've been just jotting down notes because there's so many cool stories you've already told. But one of the things that I think is important, and Gary V talks about this too, you immediately switched out from the guide part of the story, the expert, so on and so forth, into the storyteller. Was that because you've always been a storyteller? I feel like it's hard to fake what you've just displayed here on this show. Like you've got a personality to you. Right? Was it because you had a personality? Because maybe you didn't feel comfortable as the expert. What caused you to make the shift into maybe the presenter as opposed to the guy? I think there's a certain mindset as of a teacher, right? And there's people who like to present facts in a specific order, like, and it's you know, cold, mathematical, instructional. Um. I never really liked that because there's always holes in it for me, right? And to be honest with you, you know, for anything, especially real estate, like 80% of it is across the board. It's the same no matter where you are, right? But it's that last 20% of it, regional, local stuff, that will really be the gotchas that mess everybody up because this place has this kind of regulations, that place says things a little bit differently. The title companies in this other place, you know, you got to tell them the right words for them to close the deal. Or sometimes you got to, you know, you got to do these little, little last minute tricks. And it's that flexibility of the adaptability to the situation that I don't think for everybody's, you know, I don't know that many teachers that are really good at like that on the spot sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, workshopping and doing and you can't really recreate that until you're in the moment and you're like <laughs> your back is up against the wall so i you know I, i'm a retired firefighter i was a, a firefighter during all the wholesaling right so i'm my day job i'm out here doing that and then you know on the side i'm doing the wholesaling right um 
kind of like that where you get this training and then it's like you look at a building and it's like all your training and then you look and see okay here's the exit here's the exit strategy yada 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 but you still got to go and fight your way out because anything can happen once you get your way get in so that that 20 percent part was more important to me that adaptability part here's the problem though i could never teach that you have to have that in you so i'd rather be the guide and just give you a lot of scenarios and help you know you have to put those pieces together and i'll do my best to help you than to sit there and be like follow me and then you get jammed up in a situation is like you never prepared me for that and I, I couldn't you can't as a human being prepare somebody for everything so it's really important that obviously you do the mindset stuff you read a lot of books you you know um, gary v's a, a good person you know jab jab right hook and and just everything he does and you're just authentic and real and i just feel like when you're presenting uh and you're not you know you're not doing live and you're not, and, and you're doing something like like curated i guess you could call it or or formally there's just something missing from that for me and that's i don't get energy from that i guess you could say like i've been i've taught i you know i've had to do seminars we ran real estate meetings for three years um the first thing i did was put somebody to take my place in front of the crowd because i would go off on a tangent all the time if i didn't have any kind of slides forget it these stories would go on forever you'd be lost we'd be both down the rabbit hole we'd have some laughs but it's like did you really learn anything and it's like well I don't know. Did I, <laughs> did you, did I? So it's like, like for me, guiding and showing and playing was more my style than do this, do that. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I, here's a perfect example. I I've mentored other people. Right. And um, I, I'm not going to say the names, but like, this is an, this is an Airbnb, very specific scenario. And I think you'll learn something from this, but, but bear with me. So if you're a landlord, Okay, it's one thing, and you have tenant landlord law, right? And in Philadelphia, people are notorious squatters. So there's this dance around, do you let people come in your house if there's not a way to evict them quickly? The beautiful thing about short-term rentals and Airbnb is your screening process is a lot different, and you can also do things to prevent that from happening, like smart locks. Like, you know, somebody don't want to pay, you can just cancel their key code and they're not getting back in as soon as they get out. So there's little tips like tricks like that, that you would implement to prevent squatting. Well, there's still people that are smarter than you out there because they do this professionally. And one of the, <laughs> so, so we just, we, I, I was training this guy and he decided he wanted to take on this big seven, eight bedroom unit because it's like, well, there's eight units. It's like, you know, it's a shared space. Very difficult. If anybody's ever done rooming houses of any kind, you know that the, the management of those is, yes, you can make more money, but it's also every weekend it's a drama. Like, it, you know, if they're not paying you Friday, they got to kick them out by, you know, Monday, right? And and so you got the big burly dudes that come and try to get the rent, but that's for rooming houses. One well, Airbnb, they try to do something similar, but guess what? Technology can't kick your ass out of a house if you try to squat, right? In fact, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get jammed up. So my guy, let's just call him K. He fell into a little trap where he allowed this lady to give him a sob story to put her in a room. Well, this lady shows up with a kid and that's, that's a red flag and a half, right? Cause if you're going to go stay in an Airbnb in a one room, like in a house and you bring a kid with you, it's very set up ish. Right. So I was like, yo, this doesn't look good. So come two days later, she locked herself in a room. She doesn't want to come out. She's trying to squat. She's a professional. They don't know what to do. 
<laughs> I'm going to speed the story up a little bit. So him and this other guy called P were trying to figure out how to get this lady out of his room for she won't squat. And they're hiding in the attic and trying to hide. Well, they were hiding in the attic for a while. I said, listen, this is what you got to do. You got to wait a little bit. And, and this is a dirty trick, but it's, it's true. You can call the cops, but the cops will not help you because they'll call it a tenant issue because they don't understand, uh, what do you call it? Landlord. Um, I'm sorry. They call it, uh, oh, Jesus. It's, it's a different name. Oh, innkeeper laws. There you go. So a person is not really a tenant. It's like when you're in a hotel, you can get kicked out of a hotel. You can't just start squatting in a hotel. Well, the cops don't give a crap. They're just like, I don't want this problem. Take it to court. You can't deal with that. But, but you want to know who can get your ass moving out of a house quick? Child protection services. So mm -hmm. me, I know that because I adopted five of our six kids and I already know how that works. And I know that the first thing that they're the bigger bullies than the cops, right? Or, or they're the bigger threat. So I was like, look, dude, call the cops and call child protective services and let them know that this lady is living in a bad situation with this kids and let her know you're calling them. Well, don't so so they did that, and next thing you know, she's come, she comes out the room screaming, hollering, "I'll be back!" And she goes. I think she went to go try to hide the kid at somebody else's house, while she could come back and squat. So go in, change all the locks, everything like that. So when she came back, everything was changed. They did it, and they were like they were trying to hide, but they did it, and the cops were there, and she couldn't come back in. So she's screaming, "I'm going to sue you in court!" Blah blah blah. Meanwhile, they were renting this house. They were doing um, rental arbitrage. Um, anyway, so that would have never really went anywhere. But the point I'm trying to make is, and ain't nobody going to sue anybody with like no money to even stay somewhere if you're squatting. Right. So they didn't understand that. They didn't know that they don't know the tricks of the trade and, and human behavior. But all this to say is if you want to learn something from this and you're trying to evict somebody and they got kids call child protection services first and let them know, cause they'll get their ass out of there a lot quicker than if you tell them about the cops, that's the story there. So, yeah. For sure. Man, I mean, just there's so many levels that, that I resonate almost with every story that you've had. I got a similar one. Um, so I'm just real quick run through. I mean, tricks of the trade. Um, the flea trick is awesome. One of my favorite tricks I ever learned was baby powder. If you put baby powder on your body, whenever you're going to do anything itchy, that'll prevent that like 100%. Like insulation, stuff like that. Baby powder, that is a trick of the trade. That works wonderfully. And you smell very nice too. Um, <laughs> I love the crocodile Dundee thing for squatters. Next time I run into one, I'm going to do that. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun because I'm in Chicago, dude. It happens all the time. I mean, it's totally normal for me. And, and the rooming house, dude, I mean, I'm actually running one for Matt here. And I could tell you some stories, man. Like one of our first tenants was literally a schizophrenic guy. And I would spend a lot of time with him. He'd be like, hey, dude, you see this guy in, in this tree? I got a picture of him. And I'm like, dude, that's a picture of a tree. Um, <laughs> one of our pat, one of our tenants passed away recently. I mean, it's just, it's been crazy. Um, that whole story. What I really love about you is how entertaining you are. And, and I think you lean into the marketing and branding side and, and you entertain in that world too. Um, so I would love to discuss marketing strategies with me, with you rather, because it seems like your marketing and branding is entertainment based. And I think that is probably the core of your business. It is edutainment, I guess would be the best way to put that. I mean, that, Patrick, but David reference. Yeah. yeah. And that came from the beginning, by the way, the tip I just gave you about the, the, the child protection that goes under the file of what I used to call in, 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 in Philly, I call them squatter nukes. I had about four or five of them 
And they were only in case of emergency because they were like really DEFCON. You do these things and somebody might get arrested, but they worked. And I'm not going to go into them because some of them are like borderline gray illegal, but they worked. And I'm that's all I'm going to say. But squatter nukes, you you say that in Philly, if you're walking through to some real estate guys, one of them might know what you're talking about and start laughing. So anyway, um, back to this. Okay, so the edutainment, right? When I first started in real estate, I, I don't know if I said this yet or I'm going to say it again anyway. But I said, I wanted whatever I put out there to be about family and fun. So when you play with that, it was kind of like, all right, what does that mean to me? And I, like I said, I created an avatar of my other self. And that was daddy's fast cash because a dad is about family and fast cash is always fun. Plus it's a solution to a problem, right? So that became his name. And I created like this whole family of guys fix it the contractor kid calculator have kid half calculator the big green robot where he was like the, this whole family of like superheroes to go with it and then this was the stories in my head and that would be my fun to, in my head but then i would put that out to the world and i'd include them in my stories so yes i was living somewhat in the matrix in a fantasy world i was probably the first world's first nft if you call my social media you'll look at all these versions of me over the years for holidays and stuff and i was just doing that since 12 years ago, right? But now it became a big thing. But all this to say is, I like to look at branding like this. Um, I forget where I kind of learned this or picked this up, but it's like, it's like chocolate and peanut butter, right? Like take whatever you do, like for a living, for income and whatever you love to do the most, like a hobby and you mix them two together into like, like I said, like a Reese's peanut butter cup. What do I mean? Um, well, if you're like into real estate, like, like a female and you're into wine, right? Like you love wine. You know, I would combine your newsletter or whatever your communication was is treat the houses like you would rate a bottle of wine and you would be like, oh, this is a dry, you would describe it. And then you would just go into like comparing houses on, on, on a good, a good, you know, good bottle of wine and what, what to look for and, and how you value that. Why? Because A, it's interesting and you're going to attract like, think of it this way. People who dig wine are obviously people of influence and, and means, right? So you're going to appeal to those people. And yes, they're not always really ready to buy a house right now, right? Like, you know, once, twice, maybe three times in their lifetime, but they like wine. So they're going to keep following you. And then when you're ready to sell a house or you got a house, guess who's the first person they're going to go to? Oh, the wine lady, right? So take, or, or for like, if you were into insurance and motocross or whatever, you just take those two things, you create like a persona for them and you put them together in your life. You mix them together. Why? Because it gives you a human element and that human element, that edutainment, like, you know, the education, entertainment part, I think sticks in people's heads more and still cuts through the noise. I know a lot of people are, are, are hip to this now. They, you know, this is, this is a regular thing now, just, you know, edutainment as, as, as a, as a medium, you know, especially with TikTok now, but I've been doing that for years and not that I'm the originator, but that, that was just always my style. And finally the filter is if it makes me laugh, I'm going to do it. If that doesn't make you laugh, I don't care. But if it makes me laugh, that's like, I'm going to do it. And, you know, the people around me, you know, may groan about it. But, you know, take these dad jokes all day. I don't care. It's making me laugh. Because if I don't get a sale, at least I got to laugh. That's all I care about. So that. Totally. Even if the laugh's only from you, right? And that's how you know you're authentic. If you're putting out the stuff that makes you laugh, then you're just being the authentic you. Like, I want to dive into this a lot because this goes along the lines of something I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of years, which is like, how do you find the sweet spot in life 
And so I always equated it to like, you got to find out like where your heart goes, like the thing that like stirs up your, your heart mission. Plus like the thing that you're naturally good at, like your intuition, your, your natural aptitude. And like, I think you've so perfectly summarized, like, I mean, you found that place where essentially you found the, the value you could provide to people, the monetization part, and then you found the you part and you've married them. And I think this is such a beautiful thing and such a thing that doesn't happen often enough. Like, you know, being an artistic person, the, the amount of artistic people that don't know how to monetize their skill is numerous. And we're now in a social media world where artistic people can have an unbelievable advantage. Like if you could tell a story, if, if you could feel like with certain emotions more so than the average person, like you have such an ability in the entertainment space. So like, I want to dive in as deep as we possibly can get into this because I think you can help serve a lot of people that may not feel the ability to make a lot of wealth by teaching them how to harness this gift that they have and then apply. Can you give us any insights into how to merge the chocolate and peanut butter for somebody that feels lost? I mean, give me an example of um, like a business because I, I, I did it numerous times. In fact, like, let's take your trash. Okay, so, so I was going to say the same thing that I used to do. So, so, so this, this this is the this is the Pokemon evolution. I went from Daddy's Fast Cash, right? He was the wholesaler. To when I got into Airbnbs, I, I, I how how did that idea come about? Tell us about the development of that idea, Daddy's Fast Cash. I mean, like I said, it was about fun and family, and then I was just like, I was into comics. I mean, look, right? If you can see around me, like these are the characters. Um, the I was just always into comic books and movies. I used to write actually for MTV a long time ago for a cartoon. Um. And, and I just, that's, to me, that just made me want to open emails and read. Like reading is not, I mean, I, I dig reading, but you know, we get bombarded with so many things and so many long emails and stuff. It's like, if I want to open an email, I want to make sure that like the two minutes that I spend there or the one minute, it makes me feel something. Otherwise it's just delete, 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 delete. So I was just like, how do I get people to open emails? Like, you know, the click before there was clickbait, you know, I was doing clickbait, but it, it, the question is just like, Hey, how do you make this fun for the person on the other end of this too, to keep them involved. Because believe it or not, there's people out there and it's happened to me. They'll be following you for five years before they're ready to buy something from you. I've literally had people tell me that like, Hey man, I've been following you forever. I'm finally ready to do some investing. Like, cool. Where were you like when I started? I was just been following. So, um, (laughs) you know, to, to anybody kind of starting out, it's like, this is a long game if you're going to do it, but you can take this skill and the same way, okay, so it was Daddy's Fast Cash, the wholesaler. And then I started keeping properties. Obviously, you wholesale, you keep a few. That's the smart thing to do. You know, I turned them into Airbnbs, and I was kind of ahead of the curve on that. So I changed that brand from Daddy's Fast Cash, and I evolved it into Dad's Pads. Now, that's kind of a little bit like people would think of like, oh, diapers and stuff. I'm like, yeah, 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 wipe diapers. By the yeah. way, here's the, here's the video. Like, I would, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. In fact, if it does make you grin, you're going to remember it more, even if it's a joke to you. Cool. I don't care. As long as I cut through the clutter, I'm still in your head. I still got free space in your head. That's all I wanted. So dad's pads, you know, I had that, that was kind of the brand for the Airbnbs. And then, you know, when I, so, so, so are you giving us a definition? You want to be a squatter in somebody's mind? Yes, I do. I want to, <laughs> I want to occupy that VR space up in there between your eyeballs. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bringing a kid up in there too. <laughs> That's funny. Dropping a deuce while I'm up there too, but. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love this, man. Like you got such a gift. Like you, you're so gifted that like when I'm asking you questions, like how'd you come up with that? You could just tell, like it was just so natural. Like you didn't have to think about it. And I think that's one of the things like they, they say like someone really understands something when they can break it down really simply. But like when you talk about like somebody, you know, somebody's good at something when they make it look easy. So you're like, you're just ripping off this name like without even blinking. So like one of the things that I thought was actually really interesting that you said that I want to like dive into a little bit is when you look at something, you're looking for something to feel, which is in direct contrast to what, what I, my process, like when I, when I consume a piece of real estate content, I'm not looking necessarily to feel something. If I do, that's great. I look to, to think something you're looking to feel something. So like, if you don't mind diving into that, like, can you describe the feeling process? Yeah. Well, isn't that, isn't that ultimately where you want to go? Because after you read, you want to feel confidence, happiness. You want to be sold. You're like, well, yes or no. So I kind of just fast forward to the feeling. I try to fast forward to the feeling after, you know, maybe that's a faster path. I, I don't know, but I think people make, you know, more decisions based on emotions anyway. Mm -hmm. um, more do than, than don't. So, you know, that's, I play more in that side of the pool, I guess you could say. For sure. I mean, that's been scientifically proven. I believe, um, people always make their decisions based on emotions more so than logic, even when they think they're doing it logically. Um, and oftentimes the decision is made before you even make the decision, um, according to science, right? Isn't that just strange? Um, I would love to get into, um, trash matter now. Like, let's talk about this. Like, what was the problem that caused you to create this solution? Let's get in. Let's start it off that way. I want to leave you one more last thing for the people that are, like get stuck on branding. And that's this. As you evolve, right? Like, it always been about the dad, the fatherhood for me. So for me, it was daddy's fast cash evolved into dad's pads, evolved into something bigger called the dad next door. Because like the millionaire next door. I kind of wanted something that could appeal to all dads that were entrepreneurs. So that became my evolution when I kind of went out of Airbnbs and call it the no man's land of not knowing where you were. Now, I say that to say this, no matter what your brand ends up being, you're never going to, it's not going to be a forever brand. You might think so, but it will evolve. So pick something that is so dear and near and dear to your heart that you can keep riffing off of. If you notice, I kept the dad in all of those, right? And even with trash meter, it's when I, when I try to appeal to things, it's from a dad sort of perspective, because who the hell takes out the trash in your house, your mom or your dad, most likely it's your dad. So when I come at it, I'm coming at it as like, for me, it's a pain in the butt sometimes, but it's my duty. So how many ways can I make my duty cool, interesting, and easy for me to do? Like if there was a way for me to sit on a couch, press a button, and a trash robot opened up my garage door and took the trash out to the curb, and then when it was picked up, comes back in and does nothing else because my foot is broken or maybe I just don't feel like getting up on a Saturday, I'm going to do that. And so I will create that. But I'm just saying like that's how I think, and it's still in the theme of that stuff because my heart, my niche – who I speak to the most are dad entrepreneurs. So I try to appeal to them first and not everybody, them first. And then everybody comes from there because as you know, like when you niche down, you're, you're not only going to get those people, you're going to get, you know, the collateral people that are related to them, but they'll still dig your style because you settled on something. You settled on a worldview. You settled on a, um, 
a philosophy and my philosophy is that stuff. Right. So, mm -hmm. okay. Now you said trash meter. Um, Actually, before you get into trash meter, I would like to just make a comment because I love what you just said. When you were making the trash meter, you said you wanted to find something basically that took the least amount of effort and the least amount of time and it, and it provided a solution. And that's like perfectly in line with like Alex Harmozy. If you listen to him, he teaches that specifically. Like you want to shorten the time. There it is, right? Um, <laughs> there it is. It's that book. That's the book I'm talking about. Um, so cool. Yeah, bring us into trash meter. Now, I just I love that point because it's it's so crucial. And if I could, if I could pause Tim too, because I want to stay exactly on what we're talking about just a little bit longer. So I love the concept of dads. And so can you describe the evolution of the thought process that was behind it? Was it that you just wanted to target dads from the beginning? Or was that like, I'm a dad. So I want to talk to dads because I am one and I can be one and I can authentically. Exactly. Push. You can't force authenticity. You can't. So why would you go into anything and be like, come on, man, really, how deeply if you sell insurance, there are people, there are insurance nerds, right? They fall in love. I met one yesterday. This guy's like, you know what I hate about insurance? Trying to do these, um, um, what do they call them? Illustrations. I'm like, I just, my mind just goes numb. He's like, oh dude, I love that. I would just get in there and I'm just looking for these ways. I'm like, if you, whatever you're like, like you got to look at what, what you're going to be passionate about forever and always and never like miss a beat on it. Like it's just, it's just core function. It's in your DNA. And the dad thing, you know, if you're a dad, that's in your DNA. I mean, you can't unbeat, you can't undo, ring that bell. You can't take that kid back or whatever. I mean, you could try, but <laughs> you might not dig that. You know, and I don't know where you take them, Walmart. I don't know. So um, the the idea behind that is like pick, like I said, take the two things, what you are at your core, the thing you enjoy the most. And I, and I you know, I dig being a dad. I, I love that. And so I'm going to just, that's easy for me. You, you, you said it. I come up with these things a lot easier because I'm being authentic because I'm a dad. So mom, because there's mom, you know, the boss moms and stuff like that. There's moms out there, the same thing. Just double down on that. Yeah, there's going to be these, you know, these shit talkers out there. Oh, you too. You talk about moms and your kids too much. F the hell with them people. Like who cares about them? Focus on the people that, that do like what you're talking about and double down on that. And when you do that, the other ones, the, the, the people that sit on the fence or they kind of don't even know themselves, like they're, they're just, you know, insecure to be sure. They'll, they'll either meld into your tribe or you'll repel them. And either way, both of those results are good. It don't matter if you love me or hate me. If you're not, you know, I, I just don't want you in the middle. I want you off the fence or out of the middle of the road, right? Just get to one side. I don't care. It's because I can focus on the people that I care about and you can kiss my ass. So that's kind of how I feel. Oh, I love that. Um, I love that specifically. Like, that's such an awesome answer because, you know, when I first started with social media, you, you used to worry about how much likes you get and how much engagement you get. And you worry if you piss somebody off or something like that. And eventually I'm just like, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to be myself and, and who gives a shit, right? Um, <laughs> because some people are going to like me, some people aren't going to like me. And it's just like, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, because, you know, there's polarizing views on just about any topic nowadays, too, especially with social media the way it is. It's just it's nuts. Um, so basically, like to boil down your concept, you strongly encourage people to lean into who they naturally are as a person when they're doing their marketing and branding instead of trying to be something that they're not. Flaws and everything. Look, um, you're you, I'm me, whatever. And when you're on social media, it's a you know, it's it's a version of you. Right. So I kind of 
liken it to Superman or Batman. Like, you know, there's Clark Kent and there's Superman. You For social media, you, you tend to put on the cape a little bit better, but it's still the same person, right? Like when you're around your friends and family, you're probably not, you know, 100% Superman. You, you know, sometimes you're Clark Kent and sometimes you're something else. But the point I'm trying to make is like, when you perform the 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 idea of performance is what projecting and you know if you're puerto rican or italian or anything you're using your hands and all that i'm not doing that when i'm sitting there just talking with my kids i'm doing that because i'm in a way i'm performing right now but i'm still the same person still same more and and it's just a a brighter cuter little bit more um what do you call it an entertaining version of who i already am and and that's it so don't you don't have to stretch too far I'm, this is not acting. I mean, you know, to be honest, you know, like, like it could be, but the point I'm trying to make is be authentic and people are going to get that flaws and all. And so when you make mistakes and all that, that's content too. Don't be afraid to show that because people know that like, with, with like women, right? Like if there's a woman that every time she's on here, you know, in front of a camera, she's perfectly made up and she's got lipstick and everything. No, no, no shininess. Right. Other women hate that. They want to see you with messed up hair and I'm not saying broccoli in your teeth, but just they want to see your flaws. because It's like <laughs> this, like it, that's what they feel like. They feel like they got flaws. So if they see that you got flaws and you're still out there doing it, you inspire that. Um, everything else looks like work. So they're like, well, I can never be that person. And if they can never be that person, why should they pay attention to you? You're this unachievable sort of status to them as hard as you try. And we all know that like, you know, when the makeup comes off, you still look beat. But the point is, they don't see that and they're not going to relate to that. They want to see you raw, untouched. You know, that's why social media now is just like there's there's just no production values whatsoever. There's a little music, a little retarded dancing. And hey, like, that's it. Follow me. It's like, all right. Um, you know, and if I had bigger boobs, I'd probably be bigger, too. So, <laughs> so uh, on that note, um Let's, uh, man, I, I've got a question for you. You have, you're such a fun person to interview. So let's kind of go the opposite side of the spectrum from you, which is probably someone like me, right? Which is like a math major, analytical, so on and so forth. Like, I just am so impressed with your natural raw storytelling ability and production. But if you're coaching somebody that's completely on the other side, how how would you coach them? And I want to set the stage here a little bit. So So basically... Somebody, you want them to be real. You want them to be authentic. It is a performance though. So if we look at it like the movie Hitch, where Will Smith is guiding that the guy who wants to get that really attractive girl, right? He's like, you need to let them know who you really are, but you don't need to let them know all up front, right? Like you don't need to show all your faults like 10 seconds in. Can you maybe like give me or the theoretical me a coaching session? Like how do I develop a unique sense of identity. Cause like, if I tried to do what you're doing, it just wouldn't be the same, right? Like you have this unbelievable, funny personality, relatable, so on and so forth. So how do you take the person that's maybe a little bit more like in their head and how do you guide them to, you know, to reach their full branding potential? I guess the best way I could, you know, distill this into something that, you know, we, you could, somebody could absorb is, I personally treat it as a game. And in fact, Trash Matter will become a version of a game. Like there's a game behind it. Um, and why I say a game is this. Um, yes, there's always stakes, closing deals, sales, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, 
results, right? Because we're into metrics and, and, you know, that is important to, in fact, like you and me, let's say, would be a great team because you're worrying about the stuff that I don't worry about. You get to measure, you get to split test, you get to tell me what works. I will try everything, but when you tell me there's a sniper shot, I'll kill that. I just don't have time to identify all the targets that I have to really hit. Like to me, think of it in baseball. Like, you know, it's just a hit is a hit. Like, you know, uh, I'm more baseball. It's like, let me just get stats, right? But a good coach, somebody who would be like, look, if you do this, this, and this, you'll be knocking homers every time. I would need somebody to tell me how to do that. And I would probably be you because you'd be collecting data. I'm not a data collector. I'm more like um, a situation surfer, I guess. I just kind of in, intuit what looks like the yeah. best wave to catch and I go with it and sometimes I crash. Now I would teach someone how to do that and I would observe that. But again, as a game, like, what did you learn? What did you feel about that? Where do you think you messed up? Same questions any coach would probably ask you. And like, but what did you love? Well, I really love this part. Okay, you know, double down on that and try to avoid that the other one the next time because now you owe me 20 bucks. What are you talking about? Well, you know, when you mess up, I got to penalize you somehow. So give me 20 bucks. Now he don't want to lose 20 bucks next time. He'll remember that stuff like that. But you know, it's like real, you know, I, like I said, it's to me, I, I, I like to create a game around it. And, um, if you ever ask some people that I have coached in the past, they'll, they'll tell you like, <laughs> we go on adventures and, and, you know, sometimes they come out of it better and some of them wander away and do whatever they do. But some of, you know, some of the guys that I've took under my wing, uh, if you ever asked them, they, I, I think they would, all speak fondly of me. So, yeah. And I, I don't think I've ever really taught any women because I just never found the right one, but I actually work really well with women because of the way I am. Like, cause they're, they care more about like the stuff you do, the, the details that they enjoy that stuff. I don't. So every, like when I did the Airbnb stuff, my, my right hand was Leah. Um, right now a trash meter, my right hand is Stephanie. Like those people keep me they they guide me back and they kind of scold me, which is cool. I'm okay with that. But if a guy was to scold me, I'd be we'd be fighting. So that's kind of like why that you know you just got to find the right dynamic for the people. I work better with women, and I I give them the authority to tell me what to do. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that. So I mean, obviously, you're trying a lot of different things. You're taking in a lot of data, and you're figuring out what you work. And more importantly, you're figuring out what you'd like to do while you're trying out all those new things. And and you've kind of done. Um, what's the book rocket fuel you've kind of done that so you're playing a visionary role and you found like a woman to play the integrator role for you to kind of keep you on track and make sure you're going in the right direction um so i think that's brilliant i love it um so yeah i mean we definitely got to talk about trash matter um <laughs> so let's let's get into it man so i mean let's what got you to start trash matter and, and let's talk about the evolution of it okay so i mentioned we were running over 25 airbnb units in philadelphia um if you're from a big city or any kind of urban condensed urban area you will find and if you're not in an apartment building of some kind that has built-in waste management systems if you're dealing with single families or duplexes or triplexes there's not a lot of room you know philadelphia is an old city you know there's not a lot of yard there's there's yards some places but like you know, at yards, alleyways, and, and it's, there's not a lot of places to store things, not garages, nothing like that. So when you're in a hospitality business, the last thing you want is trash. Number one, because Philly's are the Philly's already a trashy city, but, um, 
that's why they nicknamed it Philadelphia. So that that was one point. Um, when when it comes to hospitality, though, if you're in, you're in that business, guests are always looking for something to complain about to get money back, right? They think it's the hotel industry. They forget that like our overheads way more than the the hospitality industry. So if you're dealing with um, you're attracting like rodents, mice, bugs from the trash because you got the store somewhere in the, in, on the premises and then, you know, smells and everything that goes with that, you're going to start losing money from that because they're going to be like, oh, you know, this place looks kind of sketchy. It smells a little bit weird. And what can you do about that? If you stick it outside, you're going to get a fine. If you put it in the back that, you know, too long, it gets becomes a pile. And then, it tra- you know, here comes the rats. Um you know, you put it in the wrong place, the neighbors start bitching, right? Like, so there's just this endless sort of nagging, pain in the ass, anger situation that started to develop from this trash thing. And I couldn't solve it then while I was there because I was too busy dealing with the right now and I was too close to the problem. But when I moved to Tampa, um, I got some some distance and I could look at it a little bit differently, some breathing room, some mental breathing room. So what developed, like I start, you know, to solve the problem in Philly, I had, I'll give you like, like, like you want to make your neighborhoods clean. If you own property in neighborhoods, you don't want just your house to look cool. You want your neighbors and the people around you like to also look cool because that brings you better tenants and it just makes everybody feel better instead of, you know, wanting to shoot each other. Right. So that actually affects things. Well, there was a guy in the neighborhood who was already out there, you know, sweeping up sidewalks and just trying to keep things clean. So like, perfect. I'm going to use him. No, long story short, I started paying them like, hey, I'm going to get the guys to put the trash out here. And all I need you to do is put it out to the curb and bring it back. And for that, you're going to make $20 a week. Freaking 15 minutes of work, not even, right? So it was cool until it wasn't. And what, what happened is, you know, not for nothing, but he became, he was a little bit of a crackhead, right? So he started forgetting when I paid him and asking for advances and, oh man, my phone and a bunch of things. So I was keeping track, but like, it wasn't a formal way of keeping track. It's on my phone. And I can tell him I paid, but he he had no way of tracking it other than him forgetting. So his memory loss or his memory thing, you know, he was now no longer earning, you know, up to $80 a week. He was just, he just became a pain. And then what happened is I had to fire him because he was just getting unreliable or arguing about money. And then he started doing vengeful things like put more trash in front of my places. Yeah, me tickets and stuff like that. So I was like, this, this is ridiculous, right? Well, that stayed with me. That pissed me off. I was like, it shouldn't be that hard to keep things clean. There got to be a way. And, you know, long story short, I started thinking about all the ways I could eliminate, you know, crackish behaviors from people (laughs) by crowdsourcing, like trash pickup and basically democratizing waste management. Like, so you don't have to wait for the city to pick it up whenever, if they show up, if they didn't skip you for the holiday. If a million other reasons why they didn't show up, especially during COVID, because, oh, we don't got people now and everything is backed up. So that that all became part of the equation. And then making it so that, oh, we're, you know, you, you're a regular guy. He's on vacation. He, he, he can't be found. He wants to charge you double and triple now because he knows you depend on him. This democratizing system where it's like, hey, whoever's on this system, whoever's closest, once you say yes, that's your job and you can go get paid to do it. And this is going to be anybody in a, you know, citywide or in a, you know, one mile, mile square radius, depending on how you make your settings. So because of the gig economy, because of the sharing economy, I created basically what is kind of, somebody said it's like 1-800-JUNK, but for the 
sharing and gig economy. And it's exactly that. And the reason for it is because why should we all depend on just one source or the random person and you see on the Facebook app or people you have to call and go through. And then you find one guy and you're good for like two months. And then that guy disappears. And now you got to go look all over again. Instead of that, now, why don't you just go to one app and you can press the button and you don't care who shows up. Somebody's going to show up to get that bag because there's money in their pocket and you don't care who it is. You just want the problem done. Just like Uber with taxis. You don't care. You know, before it was like taxis. Oh, why would you get in some random person's car? Now it's like, why would you call a taxi? And in Uber, you could track them all the way through and you could get a background and you can see ratings. So we're just doing the same thing with this. And we're not even a waste management app. It's just, to me, it's a, it's, it's a, um, uh, I, I call it a logistics redistribution and accountability app. So eventually it just becomes a way to make sure everything trash related, call it the internet of trash. You get to see where it goes. A big thing in people's mind is like, I do recycling. I put it in the blue bin and I watch the, the chucklehead go and throw it into the same truck. Like, what did I go buy a blue bin, separate things for, do all that work. And you're going to go throw it in the same damn place. And it's because they're forced to, because like cycling is still getting some things ironed out ever since China, like decided not to do it anymore. And now people are kind of like shifting things around. But um, the point being is like, if you go through all that work, you want to know that it was for something, right? So you know, mechanisms to show people where their stuff's going and then eventually sorted to a point where now we have the web 3.0 version of what you used to do when you turned in your glass for five cents. There was a monetization play for both the people who use it and the people who serve. I call that the trash token is basically a cryptocurrency that was made off the um, polygon, uh, Matic, right? So I hesitate to say cryptocurrency because of, you know, what crypto is going through right now, but it is a crypto except the mining is not some algorithm. It's actually people picking up the trash. So it's like back in the day when people used to mine diamonds and gold, they had to physically do stuff. This is it. I just took it back to the essence and that's, what's going to stabilize it. But not only that, but, you know, just create an economy where people want to keep the coin in there because they can trade it in for additional services. Like for example, if you, 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 you have ST, you know, short-term rentals, you're always going to buy trash bags. Well, after a certain amount, you, 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 um, you accumulate enough, of the trash tokens, you can start getting free trash bags, which you're going to use anyway. So now you're getting them for free for using our service and other stuff. And eventually for kids and other people, it's like, well, what could I use it for? Well, you know, for kids, they might want to buy video games and whatever, because instead of them wanting to go out and do, I don't know, um, sell cookies and make people fat or walk in a circle for no good reason, they can go and walk and do this and get paid to do it. Right. And help clean up the earth because kids care about that stuff a lot now. So it's just a mechanism that I took from my problem that was a pain to a, a citywide problem to a national and international problem. I just think like that. And I mean, maybe you got that from me now, but it sounds kind of wild and crazy right now. But what I'm creating is an, an artificial intelligence that will control all things trash and gamify the whole entire waste management industry to the point where anybody can get involved, make money from it. It doesn't have to be the big guys only now. And we also eliminate a lot of the like inefficiencies and just, you know, kind of bottlenecks that are, exist right now because, you know, only a few people care to control it the right way. So that's what I'm after, not just pick up my own trash. I was like, you know what? That's my problem. But the more, what do they say? The more problems you solve for more people, that's how you get rich. I have mm -hmm. a bigger mission than just trash. In fact, you would have told me about this two years ago. I'd have laughed in your face. Me and trash, I would laugh at the trash guys. Now I'm one of them and I, I love it because it's such a big problem. So big that I know, A, I can't do it by myself. So it helps me 
I have a, a, a responsibility to reach out to all the other people trying to solve this problem and try to get us all together a lot quicker. And it's a game to me too. It's like a never ending puzzle. It's one of those, you know, the puzzles that don't have a picture in it and you're supposed to figure out how to fit it. Like, that's what it is to me, but you know what? I'm up for the challenge. It keeps me interested. It keeps my brain kind of working. And I never would have thought I was going to be passionate about trash. That's for sure. But the way I think about it, I think it could be, you know, to me, it's fuel. Like, you know, the trees put out carbon dioxide. That's our oxygen, right? Back in the days, people used to walk out in the back of their field and run into some oil and be like, oh my God, my crops are going to be ruined. Now that's black gold. I look at trash as something that's going to fuel something else to the point where if I get this thing right, we'd actually be going back into landfills and mining them like we would mine, you know, materials of gold, silver, and all that other stuff, because we'll have a mechanism now to take all that stuff and convert it into either fuel points, something, right? So that's that's the bigger picture, but it started with this this particular what's called the minimum viable product, which is available now in Philadelphia and Tampa now. And you know, we're we're working on a we funder, which that should be ready in two weeks. So if somebody wanted to invest in it, we gotta raise another like quarter mil just to get to the point where we're like we can scale it out to multiple cities. But we're rocking and rolling now and and, and it's fun. I mean, to be honest with you. That's why I have green hair. Let me tell you that. That's another thing about that. People ask me, ah, what's up with that? And it's a conversation piece. I made my hair green. I determined that I was going to make my hair green and it's going to stay green until I collect a million bags. And so it pissed off my wife. She doesn't want to take a lot of pictures with me right now. I don't care. The point is that I know that if I do a million bags, I'll have made a million dollars because that's just like our, our collection of bags. There's a dollar amount attached to that. So not only is it like a reminder to do go do the work, but it's also if I choose to you know turn it back to another color, which I may or may not. Um, I know that when I'm able to do that, I will have accomplished that seven figures to do that. Like I can't in my head, I can't do that unless I lose it all, <laughs> which is possible. Um, I can't um, undo the green. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. So that's my commitment. Every day I wake up, I look at that. I'm like, all right, how many bags I got today? So right now we're like at 2,100, 2,200. So I got a ways to go. And, you know, that's why I'm here spreading the message, having fun with it. Again, it's a game, but like everything about what I do is a game because it makes me laugh. It makes me have fun. It's the only way to keep doing this kind of stuff. So it's just so cool to see how passionate you are about this. And obviously it's a real problem in studies. I mean, I was in education space. Studies have shown when you have a cleaned up place, an aesthetically attractive place, how people function better. They do less crime. They, they make better decisions. So like kudos to you for being so passionate, taking this stance. So that ties us into a question that we love to ask because you're talking about money and service and passion all in one phrase here. So if you had a billion dollars in the bank and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, how would you structure your life and what would freedom look like for you? <laughs> um, well, I'd finish this. Right, because I this 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 got a while to go. To me, believe it or not, this is not the end. This is like the beginning. Um, one of the things, if you knew me, and hopefully this you know resonates with you, but you got to have a cause bigger than just money. And even though it sounds great to be what I call Father God's answer to Mother Nature's cry for help. Um, you know, and an army of ecomedics, that's what I call my guys. They're not trash pickers. They're there to do triage for the earth. Um, having that set up, but it, to be honest with you, I need 
to have a platform to speak from from authority because I want to spread the message and and what I call this is my I call it my journey to 100. So I mentioned before I we're adoption advocates. I we adopted five of our six children. What started happening was other entrepreneurs, dad entrepreneurs, started coming to me and asking me how I did that. And to date, there was three other children, and it might be five up to now, that I kind of we kind of coached, kind of like how to navigate the system where they could adopt children. My goal is because I I, I came up with this. For, well, <laughs> this is a whole nother podcast, but my goal is to see a hundred kids adopted through my influence in my lifetime. Right? I, I saw this um, video a while back. This was this was where I came up with a hundred, but. Um, my last name is Centeno, so there's a translation of that as 100. But the 100 thing came from, I saw this video of this guy. It was Nicholas, Sir Nicholas something. He was getting this award, and it's because he saved all these children uh, during the, the, the World War II from the Nazis, right? He took them in, and he got them safely away. So he's sitting there, and then uh, he gets this reward. And then, like, what he doesn't realize is that all the, all the people, the crowd, all those kids, people in the crowd were the kids he saved. And they stood up and clapped. And I was like, I want that. So I don't need to be Tony Robbins. I don't need to go do TED Talks all over the earth and try to be like, you know, this evangelist. I, for me, the legacy I want to leave is I want to know that 100 kids got adopted through my influence somehow in my lifetime. So all this to say is that if people reach out to me and say, hey, how did you do it? You know, through you know, this podcast or social media, um, that they come to me for those kind of questions, I would tell them like, each of the experiences with my kids and what I would do in their situation. And hopefully they get a win too, because I myself cannot personally adopt a hundred kids and still say sane. I would like to say I could, but unless, you know, I, I, I couldn't do justice to the ones I have, you know, there's just too much attention spread, but if I can have that influence and know that there was a hundred kids through the friends and people that reached out to me that were adopted, I could die happy, but I need a platform for that because, you know, I'm only up to like nine, you know, I'm only up to like eight or nine now. So I got a ways to go. So green hair, trash meter, find a, like all that in the Venn diagram of my mind is leading me towards being able to get to a place where I can have that platform where people will reach out to me if that's in their heart. Cause I feel like if I'm helping dad entrepreneurs and I somehow coach them and they, 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 you know, help them make, become a millionaire. I take the financial part of adopting out of the equation for, as a problem for them. Cause I'll tell you right now, there's, there's probably plenty of people that want to adopt but the mom's like, yeah, they got the heart for it. Oh, yeah, this and this. And the dad's doing calculations in his head. Like, he's doing this, but he's like, damn, I got to get a bigger car. I got to get a bigger house. I got to get a better job. And all these things were stuff that I went through. So if I can take that out of the way, that you don't have to think and worry about that. And if it's in your heart and you always wanted to do it, then I want to clear the table for you so that you're like, what's it going to be? And I'm not going to pressure you or anything. But like, if I can take that one thing out of the equation that that's a concern for you and you truly had a heart for it, I want to be a part of that. And the only way I can be a part of that is if I can be someone of influence and looked at as an expert of some kind, because you know how it is. People don't listen to people who aren't like elevated or famous. So use it for a good reason. That's how, that's really my end game. So that's yeah. the whole reason for this, but have fun doing it. I don't want to do something that sucks. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I fail, at least I failed with, you know, I failed with something that did a world of good somehow else. So I just kind of, I don't know how I came up with all that. It kind of just, I, I oh. guess you could say it was a bolt of lightning, but that's, that's, that's why I do it. I love it. 
Um, I love everything about that, actually. I mean, not only do you have huge visions for the company that you're building, but you want to make a difference in the world. And, you know, helping 100 kids get adopted, that's that's a massive impact. I mean, imagine the ripple effect that has. That's 100 kids that will likely have two kids each or something like that. So, I mean, that's a generational impact that you're looking to have. So I'm pumped to even think about it. Yeah. And you, if you think as an investor, what was the ROI? Yeah. That's like legacy ROI, right? Like our our legacy is our last names, right? But it's not just that, you know, statues get torn down, buildings get destroyed, names get sullied, right, over history. But that you can't mess up. Like, of course, yeah, there might be a few people you know, in your legacy that might mess a couple things up. But look at it this way, man. Like you, you invested that many seeds, your crop is going to be way bigger than somebody who put all their effort into their own one or two kids. And then imagine one of them goes to the jail and the other one, get, you know, something else happens. It's like, well, now where's your legacy? Me, I'm like, look, I'm trying to be as divested as possible through these kids. If I can do it, that's what I'm going to do because I personally feel like that's what I was called to do. That's my purpose in life to at least get a hundred. I'm not saying I'm stopping there, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to be happy. So there's a hundred that I can point to and be like, I got the names right here. So mm -hmm. yeah. love it. Love it. I love all of that. Um, so cool, man. Um, what's your vision for the next 12 months? What are you guys trying to accomplish in the near future? Well, um, I want to see, um, I want to be in the top 10 short-term rental Airbnb, like markets, vacation rental markets with the service, because that's kind of our core customers, usually short-term rental hosts or Airbnb hosts, the cleaning companies that service them or cleaning companies, um, you know, it, this is, you know, not a product that would be for just anybody. Like you could use it like maybe once here and there, a, a normal person, right? But like our core customers are going to be the OCD housewives, the people who do fish fries that don't want that stinking up their house, after party cleanup, you know, after party Airbnb cleanup, um, cleaner, clean, like cleaner, helping cleaners, small businesses that don't want dumpsters or bad presentation. There's a, there's a lot of use cases here, but like, you know, like you can't be everything to everybody. So our core audiences are our core users are going to be people with vacation rentals or in the hospitality business. So the top 10 cities that they're in for 2022, depending on the regulations and how they affect, because like right now, Philadelphia is fighting a big thing and, you know, it could, it could go sideways come January, but, you know, I'm, I'm part of the effort fighting that Tampa's pretty decent, but it's spread out different market. You know, Dallas, Nashville, L.A., Miami, like the bigger cities, Chicago, they all have these problems. But depending on how they're, they're they're situated, they have some stuff good, but not some other stuff not good. So each one's kind of a different puzzle box, um, so to speak. But like I say, 10 and then, you know, in 24 months, uh, you know, triple that and international. In fact, we kind of will be international already through a little side project with a guy, I, an inventor I linked up with in Kenya, and we got these special high-tech trash cans we're kind of dabbling with and testing out in, in, in Kenya. But you know what's cool about Kenya is if you're going to do a bet on something, do it out there because it's cheaper. <laughs> if you're going to roll the dice, roll it where you can get the most money. That's why I buy domain names from Canada. Name cheap. Y'all should do that. Screw GoDaddy. They're like double and triple the price. Name cheap. You're paying Canadian dollars, so it's always like 30% cheaper. Little tip there for y'all. Um, yeah, anyway, that's, that's where the vision is. Uh, next 24 months, uh, 12 months is uh, top 10 Airbnb short-term rental markets in, in America, North America. 
All right, man, That this has been absolutely tremendous. Your energy, your entertainment levels, I mean, they're just top-notch, dude. Um, your vision is massive, and I am hopeful that you're able to accomplish everything. I mean, you got the Trash Matter app. You got the Trash Token. Um, you're looking to go international, man. You're building stuff in Kenya. I'm super stoked to see what you're able to accomplish, man. Um, to the audience out there, everything... Every way to reach out to Jason Centeno will be in the show notes for you. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. So simply commit to taking one action, maybe do some edutainment within the next seven days, and tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.